Uh, if we've not met, my name's Steve Carter. It's an honor to be with you all. Uh, and um, we've been in this series, Living on a Prayer. And I'll tell you that for the last uh, number of weeks, I can't remember a time where I'll listen to the podcast. And it's just been like week after week after week after week, just growing in the richness of God. And, and we, we started this whole year talking about the Shema. I love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind with all your strength. And when this whole focus was on you, and this is a little stick figure drawing of it, like of you, I'm a good artist. And, and, and you, are, you are a soul. And the health of integration and spiritual formation is heart, mind, body, soul. We wanted to make sure that we got that right. Because if we had healed souls, we can be participating with Jesus in the healing of society. And then we shifted into part two. We heard Trev talk about forgiveness. Powerful message. Powerful message. We heard Parks talk about confession. Incredible. Chad last week, all long hair and glory, talked about healing. It was powerful. And today I want to take it just a little bit farther. But to do that, this is going to be a little bit of review for a moment. So stay with me. But if you really want to know what the heart of the New Testament and the heart of the gospel is... It is about right relationship, right relationship. And the right relationship is between you and God, you and God, you and yourself, you and your neighbor, you and the world. This is what good news looks like. And oftentimes in the church, we've, we've really limited it to be, it's just me and God, me and God, me and God. But the heart of who we are as a church is to be about right relationships. To be about right relationships. But that first relationship to get right has to be between us and God before we can actually become the truest, most pure, most beautiful gift to our neighbor and to the world. And, and, and when we think about this, we get the sense from James 5, 16. Again, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but stay with me. Therefore... James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so there's a sense in the fact that we have to be the kind of people who confess. And every single one of us, every single day, we sin. We know this. And, and sometimes sin just gets a bad rap. The way that we talk about it, it often is like fraught with shame. I'm not about shame. I'm not about shade. Here's what I'm about. I'm about truth. And when you think about the word sin, it literally means to live less than what God intended for you. A way to look at this is when you can see this diagram that there is a gap between God and me or God and you. And sometimes we think that, you know, it's just less than. But I started thinking about this when it comes to confession and this is going to set us up for where we're going today. When I started to think about confession, I decided to flip it. And I started to kind of look where it's like, okay, here's me. And the decision I made, a choice to be selfish or to get angry or to react or, or to not be the very best integrated soul that God intended me to be. There's a gap. But here's what's interesting about confession. And I think this is where we miss it in the church. We miss it because oftentimes 
Because shame is so used by the enemy, we often don't want to ever name what has actually been done. But here's my question. Here's my question. If you can't actually name what you did, can you fully claim what God did? I mean, think about this. I think some of us, we want to sing and be like, oh, God, you did this, you did this, you did this. But I'm not going to tell you what I did. And some of us, we will talk about what we've done, but we don't want to claim fully what God has done. And really, when it comes to the power, what some people would call the mercy prayer, is to be able to recognize, I have the safest. We sang it. I am safe. I just want to be caught up in your presence because it's safe. It's consistent. It's trustworthy. I can bring my full self and not just bring my full self of what I've done. I can also be reminded of what you have done. And friends, this is confession. This is confession. But I want to take it even a little bit farther just so that we have a sense of what this means. Turn with me if you have a Bible to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And this, this, again, is true to the heart of what it means to be a person of the kingdom of God. What you'll see is it says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, us, Broken and beautiful people, us, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, do you see in that? It says that you are ministers. Put that on your LinkedIn account. What's your job? I am a minister of reconciliation. That is who you have called to be. To help be about reconciling. And then it continues on. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you know what the next verse is? The next verse is Paul saying, Church, I urge you not to take grace in vain. And when we take grace in vain, it's when we don't recognize that we are ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation. That our job is to actually reconcile people back to God. But let me talk about this. Because when you think about what it means to be a reconciler, I want you to be able to get to see this in a bigger picture. So let me bring this drawing up, but I want you to see I flipped it. Today we're going to be talking about a certain kind of prayer, but this kind of prayer is now when we're looking at our neighbor, our family member. And who is a neighbor? A neighbor is someone that you absolutely love to your enemy and everyone in between. It is someone that you love and adore and someone you can't stand. That is your neighbor in the New Testament, the way that Jesus taught it. And the goal of us is when we actually see something that is happening in our neighbor's life, where there's a gap, where there's struggle, where there's complex trauma, where there's suffering, where there's disease, where there's sickness, where there's divorce, where there's abandonment, where there's neglect. 
We are to be the kind of people who have our eyes attuned to that, that gap that is happening in so many people's lives. And if I look at it, it's like that neighbor and God. And to be a reconciler, to be a reconciler, you have to understand this, is that you hold the stories of both. You cannot be a reconciler if you only hold one person's story. Then you're just on that person's team. But to be an ambassador, to be a reconciler, is someone who holds, oh, the truth about God and who can understand what a sister, a brother, a neighbor, someone you can't stand is walking through and have compassion. Have compassion. Now let's look at this because what we're going to talk about today is the sense of intercession or intercessory prayer, but I want to take it a little bit farther, how it was understood in the first church. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4, says these powerful words. I urge, and this is Paul writing to his spiritual son, his mentee, Timothy, who was really, really timid. Scholars would call him timid Timothy. But he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Just stop right there. Not just some people, but for all people. For our neighbors. For our, for our friends. For people who are actually struggling in our world today. For all people. We are petitioning on their behalf. We are praying on their behalf. We are interceding on their behalf. And we are thanks be to God for what God will do on their behalf. And it says this, for kings and all those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. What is it saying when it's saying quiet lives? It is just people who are safe and consistent. They're not trying to gain all this attention. They are just focused because all they want is Jesus. This is good, the scripture continues, and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I love this because when I think about what this means is if we're going to be a reconciler, if we're going to be people who intercede, and that means you go and you understand the gap and you see it and you speak to that gap. Here's a way to draw it out is this. When I think about this, When you think about confession, it's you and what you did and what God did. When it's the neighbor and it's intercession, intercessory prayer, it's what they've done. But also you holding the truth of what God will do or what God is doing or what God did. Does this make sense? And every single day, we have to have our eyes open to go, oh, what's the gap? What's the struggle? What's the pain? What's the problem? And this, my friends, this is what intercession is. This is intercession. But I want to I wanna talk about something. Because I think oftentimes when we live in our day, we have this phrase that's out there. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's just called thoughts and prayers. Have you ever heard of this? It's just like, just give you my thoughts and my prayers. What's happening in the world today? Thoughts and prayers. We just kind of like not necessarily acknowledge the gap. We're just kind of like throwing thoughts and prayers out there. And what I want to actually teach you and talk to you about today in our remaining time is the power of something that scholars would call intercessory reconciling prayer. 
It's where you actually begin to see the gap and you actually intercede. But you're interceding for the reconciliation. And the reconciliation could happen between your neighbor and God. It could happen between a neighbor and another neighbor. It could be happen between a couple that's separated. It could happen between a conflict that's happening in our world. And you might not know this, but there's 110 global conflicts that are happening in our world. Tribe against tribe. Guns. Fighting. Innocent lives. Terror. Death. Wrong. For many of us, we only know about a couple of them. But you, I could, you could go and you can Google this right now. You will see 110. And I think oftentimes men are like, oh my gosh. And if you're like me, sometimes you just look at the world and you go, there's just so much issues, so much problems. I, don't, I can't even know how to actually engage it, engage it well. And so for most of the church, we just, it's easier just to go thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. But here's what I want to get at. Is that the heart of spiritual formation, being shaped and formed in the way of Jesus, if you want to speed up your spiritual formation, make these three essential. The first one is humility. Humility. Curiosity. And gratitude. And here's what I mean. Is when you're actually humble enough to look at the gap between a neighbor and God, neighbor and a neighbor, and you're humble, you recognize you're not the Messiah. You are humble in the sense you're like, oh my goodness, like, there, is, there is so much here. When you look about the conflict that's happening in our world, you just sit there and you go, man, I, I, gotta, there's, I don't know everything. I don't know everyone's experience. I don't fully understand the actual landscape. And if I just watch one news channel, I'm only going to know one side. But the humility comes when you can recognize, I have much to learn. And when you can start there, then you can be curious. And when you are curious, you want to know what this person is walking through. And you can hear them not get defensive not tell them they're wrong, not throw out shame or shade, but you can get curious about this person's experience and this person's experience. And once you have the humility and the curiosity, you can start to have what it is to pray for and to pray that a God actually wants to intervene and make that situation right. This past week, I spent 72 hours in Lima, Peru, and much of the time, I was, I was working with Venezuelan refugees who had come to Peru because they had to leave the struggles of their nation. They left everything. One of them just had a key to their house, hoping that one day they could return to their house. And that key is a symbol of refugee. Because if they have to look at there and they have to have some level of hope that maybe someday I'll be able to go back to my home. Think about that. And then I started to hear these Peruvian women. These women and these men were welcoming these Venezuelan refugees in and they were actually doing ministry together, which is unheard of. They weren't shamed. They weren't minimized. It wasn't some kind of division. They recognize the Christ in me recognizes the Christ in you and you are welcome in our church. And God began to work. 
from Lima, Peru, I went to a men's conference in Ottawa, Canada. Canada. A lot we can talk about Canada. <laughs> but I'm in Ottawa, and what do you do in Ottawa, which is the nation's capital of Canada? I decided to go see a hockey game. Because when in Canada, that's the only sport they got. So I, I get it, I call an Uber. I get in this Uber from a hotel, and a guy by the name of Ali picks me up. I'm sitting with Ali. I'm like, Ali, where are you from? Did you grow up in Ottawa? He goes, no, I grew up in Istanbul. I'm like, Istanbul? I said, last time I was in Istanbul, I couldn't leave the airport because there was a massive conflict that was happening. And he's driving in traffic, and then he just looks back at me. And he goes, I can tell you the day. You were there. 2016. I was like, yeah. He goes, it was within 48 hours. I had to leave everything. I was the president of a massive university. And I had to leave my house, my family. Many of my friends were arrested or killed. I, left, I lost my bank account. All of my degrees do not transfer over to Canada. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to communicate in English with a man who primarily speaks Turkish. And I, I asked him, I said, hey, can you talk to me about the gap and how you actually grieve the gap? And he looks at me and goes, grief? I'm like, the, the, the gap, like you, you had so much and you, you're driving Uber and no shade on Uber, but what you were as a president of a university now you're this and you had to, how? And he doesn't understand. So he takes his phone and he goes, type it in here. It'll translate to Turkish. So I type this out and he looks at it. And I'll be honest, the guy keeps driving and looking at me talking. And I'm like, hey, just keep your eyes focused, bro. But I really want to hear you. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's driving and he just starts weeping. I, I don't know what to think of that. I don't know what it would be like to have someone just tell me, you got to leave this country like that. Everything you've worked for got to be like that. You got to be go. You got you to leave your family. Hasn't seen his dad. They took his dad's passport. You, you sit here and you go, man, this, this issues that are in the world. And, and I'm just going to say, thoughts and prayers, bro. Here's a five-star rating and a 20% tip. Really? And the heart of God was that we'd actually be the kind of people that would engage with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was 19, my whole world changed. I wanted to be in the film industry. I, was just, I loved writing stories. The dream was either ESPN or SNL. That was the dream. One of those two. And I was like driven for it. And um, my mentor said, hey, I need, you to, I need you to come with me to Chile. I was like, all right. And uh, he's like, we're, we're going to spend some time and then, you know, we can go into the water, we can surf, but then I want to take you somewhere um, down south to the southern part of Chile. I'm like, great, okay. So a bunch of us go down there and we're serving, doing some work. And um, at one morning, we're down south, about eight hours from Santiago, Chile. When all of a sudden, it's like 4.30 and I'm sleeping in a tent outside. My mentor, Hal, comes up to me, opens up the the tent and goes, hey, hey, come with me. 
the teal and I and Jeff and Josh and you, I got to show you something. I'm like, what? It's 4.30 in the morning, bro. He's like, get up. I'm like, okay. So he, I get up. We get in this car and we drive. And we drive. About 45 minutes, we come to this bridge and houses get out. And we walk across this bridge to the middle part. And if you look down at this bridge, it's a couple thousand feet drop into this just ravine of water. And Hal said something to me. And I hope you can just hear my heart here. I'm not trying to make any statements. Just hear my heart here. So in the 1970s, our world was really wrestling with communism versus capitalism. And in 1970s, the Chileans elected a man by the name of Salvador Allende to be their president. Problem is, the U.S. was not happy with this decision that the people made, and so they helped fund a coup. And they went to the White House, the Casa de Blanco in Santiago, and they took this man's life. And then a man by the name of Pinochet took over, who actually did very well financially, but also did a lot of crime and hurt a lot of people. And I want you to know this, that within the matter of 72 hours, 10,000 people disappeared. Poets, prophets, professors, preachers, gone. And Hal's telling me this story. And I'm like, well, where, where did they go? And then Hal said, they went to this bridge. I said, what? What do they do? Like, are they on the other side? What, what do you mean? I said, no, they were, they were shot and thrown over. Thousands of them. And the most peaceful protest, you can Google this, learn this, tias, that are the aunties and the grandmas, they walked around the Casa de Blanco with signs that said, Donde están? Literally, where are they? 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 And Hal says this, he pulls out a book and he says these words and they shaped me. They changed me in that moment. It changed the trajectory of my life. He says this, God loves our prayers, Steve. God loves our prayers, Jeff. God loves our prayers, Josh, because it was the three of us there. God loves our prayers. But you know what he really needs? God needs friends who will embody those prayers. And it was in that moment, something clicked. Because what happened is, if you think about this, 1834 is when the city of Rockford was founded. Does anyone know what the original name of the city was? Midway. Midway, because it was midway between Chicago, which was founded March 4th, 1837. Sorry, I'm like a fax guy. And then between Galena. It was the midway point. But think about this. In 1834, if you lived in Midway, now known as Rockford, how often would you go to Chicago? In the course of one year, how many times would you get on the horse and ride yourself to the lakeshore? You weren't going to do it. You weren't going to do it. Maybe, maybe you might get in that Uber carriage and they might take you. Maybe, but you're probably not going to do it. In the 1800s, even into the early 1900s, we didn't actually know what the rest of the world was like. This is why they created Life magazine. Remember that? 
Because Life Magazine was the first, and National Geographic, before the internet, was the first time we could actually see, oh my goodness, this is what Berlin looks like? This is what actually is going on in Africa? This is what, as, this is what the Patagonia looks like? We didn't have that outside of black and white pictures in our encyclopedia if our parents actually bought that on that month's subscription plan with those, like that and Tupperware. Remember that? 19 of you know what I'm talking about. Now, now, here's what you got to understand. When this book was written, the idea of intercessory prayer was very hyper-localized. They really didn't have a sense what was happening in Galatia or Ephesus or Rome. Maybe Paul would tell them here or there, but they didn't have pictures unless they actually went there, which they rarely did. Most of the time, people stayed in their kind of worldview and purview. And so if they lived in Belvedere or Loves Park, that's where they stayed. And then if they heard that someone in Belvedere was actually sick, they didn't just go thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. What did they do? They prayed for it and then they went and they visited the sick person. They took oil and anointed the person. If they saw that there was some kind of conflict, they didn't just go, ah, prayers. They actually understood that these intercessory prayers were embodied prayers. Does this make sense? And why this is so important is because I think in our world today, we live with this luxury, but it's also a bit overwhelming, is that we actually see images. I don't really like opening up Twitter these days. Because I actually now, there's like videos of fights that are happening in schools. There's videos of, of conflicts that are happening in the world. And I, I, I just, I don't like to see the violence, if I'm honest. But I also know that's a privilege that I don't have to see the violence. But what if, what if we as a church actually understood that our role, being that we have been reconciled with the divine, with God, that we are the bearers of the message of Christ, is not that we just go thoughts and prayers, but we begin to actually say, you know what? Both locally and globally, we are going to be friends of God. And here's what I would say to every single one of you. You can't solve all of the world's issues. It's impossible. But here's what I'd ask you to do. If you live in Rockford, if you live in Loves Park, if you live in Belvedere, if you live in Morris, if you live in Hoffman Estates, where I live, I want you to think about a couple of those gaps the strongholds, the issues. And I want you to begin praying for it, but not just praying for it, but actually find ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus and actually embody what that intercessory reconciliation prayer is all about. Does that make sense? And then I want you to think about one global issue. One global issue. Maybe it's refugees. Maybe it's war. Maybe it's the water crisis. Maybe it's the famine. 
Maybe it's some sense of racism. I, I don't know whatever that one is, but if you can actually not just know about it, but you can actually get humble and go, I don't know a lot about it. And you know what? I'm actually gonna get very, very curious about this. And I'm actually gonna begin praying that God would actually reconcile and redeem this situation. And I'm gonna pray for it, but I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna do whatever I can. For me, if you wanna be really, really just transparent, for me, it's been Israel-Palestine. And since 2009, I've been engaged in that conversation. I, I had the chance, um, Jimmy Carter actually funded six pastors, young pastors, I was young once ago, to go. And uh, to go and like learn about both sides of the conflict. And um, I'll, I'll never forget this. We show up to this, we show up to this hotel and we check in, we're getting our rooms and all my friends get their rooms and it's like, they get to go there over there. And I look at my room and I'm like, cool. All right, I'll see you guys at dinner. I walk over here and I open up my room and it's, uh, it's got three bedrooms, an office, two bathrooms. And I was like, whoa, this is bigger than my house. And so I'm like, they must've made a mistake. So I go and I start talking at dinner. I'm like, hey, what are your guys' rooms like? They're like, it's a normal hotel room, dude. I'm like, are you serious? You gotta come see my room. And as they come into my room, they're seeing it. And they're like, what in the world? I'm like, I know there must be a massive mistake. And then as we're walking out, there's a guy who's been standing outside my door, but I don't understand it. And as I'm walking out, the guy looks at me and goes, is there anything else you need, Mr. Carter? And it dawns on me, he thinks I'm Jimmy Carter's grandson. And I was like, uh, yeah, can I get a sparkling water? You got a robe? I don't know. I was like, and it dawned on me though, the power that comes with having the right name. And the truth is, as a follower of Jesus, the power that you have in the name of Jesus the power that you have is to look at a situation and go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I know what my God can do. And this is going to lead us into a time of communion because I need you to think about this. Just fathom this for a moment. Just imagine if like Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, seeing all of the problems and the chaos and the conflict of the day, just said, hey God, <laughs> thoughts and prayers. Just thoughts and prayers. But what did he do? He emptied himself of everything that gave him power. He took on flesh. And what did he do? He entered into this world holding the truth of God and his kingdom and the reality and also joining with people, women, kids, the poor, the religious, and trying to help them see that they had access to the Father. Jesus was the model of what it is to be this intercessory reconciler, embodied prayer. And when we kind of grab hold of communion, that's what we celebrate. And every time we take this, we are reminded Jesus didn't just stand back and go, well, I hope that y'all figure it out. Just figure it out. He stepped in. And this becomes our meal that reminds us 
that we are to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out so that others may be reconciled to God. Amen? When we choose to eat this, it's not where we just remember and go, oh, Jesus, thank you for coming. That is beautiful. But it's thank you for coming and showing me that I'm also supposed to come. Not just go, hey, thanks for coming. Ah, would you do it again? It's thanks for coming. And I'm going to participate in what you want to do in this world until you come again. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the second hardest thing in all of Christendom, which is to open these properly. I want you to start with the top. Don't mess it up, because if you mess it up, you're not going to be able to get that bread. I want you to hold that piece of bread. Don't eat it yet. And then what I want you to do is I want you to open up the cup. Don't eat the bread. Don't drink it just yet. Just want you to hold the bread. And as you hold this piece of bread, I want you to think if the gospel is good news of right relationships between me and God, me and my neighbor, me and myself, and me and creation, I want you to think about right now if you were to step back and to think about, is there, maybe it's a conflict with a family member. Family members not talking to one another, coworkers not talking about one another. I'm not asking you to do anything about that right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's friends who have just stopped talking to one another. Division has just come. And as a reconciler, I want you to hold this piece of bread and I want you just to imagine you as the hands and feet of Christ joining with Jesus and what he longs for is for reconciliation. And I don't want you just to think about locally, but I also want you to think, man, is there an issue in the world that just breaks your heart? Is gun violence, injustice, water, war, whatever it is. I want you to think about that and just ask God, God, Give me a sense of humility, curiosity, and gratitude that I can embody what you were so willing to model as you walked this earth. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, hey, this is your meal that is going to remind you of what our mission on this planet is. Receive and eat. And he grabbed this cup and the cup represented a new covenant. This is a new way, a new order, a new kind of living where at any moment you can recognize this is a reminder, yes, I have been reconciled to God, but the job's not done. Now, because I have been filled with grace is not to take grace in vain, but to help as an ambassador, as a minister of reconciliation, so that every other person I come in contact with will also want to drink of this new covenant cup. Amen? So let us drink. And so God, I, I just pray. I pray that we wouldn't be a church that's just thoughts and prayers.
I pray that we'd be the kind of people who embody those intercession, reconciling prayers. That we understand the power of grace. We don't take it in vain. But we are a people that are known for our humility and our curiosity and our gratitude because we understand what we did and we also understand and claim what you did. And we want to actually see that happen in Rockford, Belvedere, Loves Park, Morris, surrounding areas. So use this, God. We pray all this in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Hopefully that was helpful for you today. Um, hey, before, before we go, I want you to know one thing. And our, our team is just stellar. And you all know that. Our team has been working towards Easter. And, and Trev said it, this march towards Easter. And I, I want you to understand is that this is really based on this concept that the old is gone and the new is here. And I think every one of us know people in our lives right now who just are struggling with the old version of themselves. They just don't actually have hope or the belief or the dream that resurrection is possible in their life. And so Good Friday is gonna be different than we've done in years past. Because we actually want people to understand, oh my goodness, the power of what that day symbolized. Because when you understand the power of what that day symbolized, and then your eyes awaken to what it means of resurrection, it just changes everything. And so here's my ask. My ask is simply this. We're four weekends away, 28 days away from Easter. And we're gonna put up a slide right here. And I'm asking that, you, if you took out your phone, you, you did a QR code right there, what you have is an opportunity to make an invitation. You have an opportunity to get some information, to share, to, to maybe invite a friend who's just drifting. And know what I've learned in 25 years of ministry? Nobody drifts towards holiness. Nobody drifts towards grace. But what honestly happens is when courageous people make invitations. And the single greatest gift you will ever give another human being, is it your bank account, the car that you drive, or where you vacationed, or the team that you root for? It is the single introduction to a God that loves them. Because when they experience God's favor and God's love and God's blessing and God's grace, and they receive that and their lives change, that's the only thing that you can take into the next reality. is people. And I want us to get back to being that inviting culture, that relentless culture of recognizing any person is not too far gone from God. Every person matters to God. And we have to be the people whose hearts break for the people who are drifting. And when we recognize that resurrection is possible, not just for us in here, but for everyone outside this room, then we realize because we're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Amen? Amen? Amen. So I'm asking you, church, please. I know some of you all want to clap, and I keep cutting you off, but I, I, I'm asking you this week, make an invitation because you are a minister of reconciliation and you are an ambassador for Christ's glory. Amen? Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.